Hey, pull out your message notes. I'm excited. We are in a series. We're in week three of a series entitled Moving Forward. Uh, Really, this series has become our theme for 2020 as a church. And I believe it's a theme for many of you that this year is different than last year, that you choose to take your steps forward, to advance your life forward. And I really believe that's the God, that that's God's will for your life. Look at Job 17, 9. This has been a key verse for us. It says, go ahead and, I mean, uh, the righteous keep moving forward. Everybody say forward, not backwards. We're not stuck. We're not in the same place. We're moving. And those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. And so week one, we talked about moving forward. What does it look like? It's, it's forward vision. We're, we're looking forward. We're, we're, we're looking ahead to what God might have for our life. It's forward thinking. I mean, we need to get new thinking this year better than what we had last year. And so I'm growing in my thoughts. I'm I'm diving into the word of God, which is what I love about the 21 days of prayer and fasting, that we we should be consuming God's word like never before because it's the, the word of God that transforms us and keeps us from being like the world. We're talking forward. That means my words. I'm going to be life-giving. We say that all the time here at the church. How can we say the same thing but in a life-giving way? Like say it in a way that's positive, that that advances my life forward. It's living forward. It's creating new disciplines and new habits, things that I do in my life as I take steps forward. And so that was the first week, and it was great. If you if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and watch the video on YouTube or listen to the podcast. Uh, last week, we talked about setbacks and comebacks. And we talked about sometimes it feels like when I'm trying to go forward, I'm moving backwards. We looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph is a man that experienced many setbacks. But God used his setback to set him up to fulfill his purpose. And so last week we talked about a setback is really a setup for God's comeback. And many of you are stuck in a setback and your focus is back there. And God's like, no, baby, I got you in the palm of my hands. I'm going to move your life forward. And so if you hadn't listened or weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to it. I really believe it will encourage you. Now today we're going to talk about moving forward in relationships. Moving forward in relationships. Now, If we're going to move forward in 2020, we're going to have to take a look at and focus on the relationships that we have in our life. I was reading a magazine, Influence Magazine. I don't know if you've ever read it. I was reading it online, and they had an article that talked about the value of relationships. And what they said is relationships are the currency of life. I thought it was so powerful because sometimes you can think, no, the currency of life is the dollar's or the money I have in my pocket, the currency of life is my time. And though those things are very valuable, when you really look at the whole of life, the currency of life is relationships. I mean, when you look at your life, I bet you every great opportunity, every promotion, every advancement in life happened because of a relationship. Like someone saw something, said something, did something, God opens up a door. And so if this is the case in our life and the the value of our life is based on the relationships we have, how many know we ought to really take inventory of the relationships we have in our life? Like it's important. It's not something we should just unthoughtfully do, something that we just flippantly, oh, well, we're all friends. No, baby, I want to choose my friends. I want to choose people I do life with. 
I want to choose people that I spend time with. I want to choose people that I get advice from so that my life moves forwards and not backwards. I love this saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You tell our kids that all the time, but I wonder if as adults we really think about that. Oh, we're quick to do that because we don't want our kids hanging around bad influence, but I wonder how many of us are hanging around people that we shouldn't be hanging with if we're trying to move forward. We're the sum total of all of our relationships. You are who you are today because of the people you have in your life and spend time with in your life. And a good exercise to do, not now, maybe later, to write down the five people that you spend the most time with. Just write their names down. The people that you get advice from. The people you live with. The people you really connect with. Write their names down. And what you'll find out is your life is the average of those five people. That'll make you think. That'll make you maybe say, hmm, maybe I should drop a few. Come on, somebody. Look at what the Bible says. It says in Proverbs 27, 19, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. So, so what you really like, it's, it's the people that you hang out with. Are you a chicken or are you an eagle? Come on, somebody. You know, it's like who are you hanging out with really matters. And I believe it's one of the most important decisions you'll make in 2020. I think some of you need to drop some of your friends. I think some of you need to take a, a, an honest thorough inventory of your life. And, and I get why people hesitate because when we come to know Christ, you're like, but God, I'm here to save them. No, Jesus saves them and you're not their savior. And so what we're called to do is to move forward and, and, and where you're trying to reach back, what I have seen for most people, when you don't let go of those people that are, that are not trying to pursue God, instead of you moving them forward, they start pulling you backwards. And the greatest way to be an example to people is not just through friendship, but it's by example. That they see, wow, there is a God in heaven because of what he's doing in your life. That you have chosen, even though it was hard, to let some people go. But your life is such a testimony. They're like, man, I need joy like that. I need hope like that. Why are they so involved? They look like they got purpose. They got peace. Like, I didn't understand. And so then they come to church because they want to figure out how you're doing what you're doing, not because you're hanging out with them. When we talk about friends, I think it's important today, which it's amazing that we even talk about it, but the, we really got to define the word friend. Like the, the, the term friend is evolving, it's changing. You know, when we grew up, and I'm 42, I'll be 43 this month, and you know, when I'm not that old, I'm kind of in the middle, come on somebody, and you know, woo, come on, Pat, you look good for 40, woo. They, uh, but when I said friend, when you call a friend and say you're, we're friends, we're boys, it's like we hung out together. Like we, we, we spend time together. We do dinner together. We, we, we go fishing. We go hunting. Maybe girls, you go shopping or you, you just get together, you do crafts or you just do lunch or dinner dates. Like, like we're there for each other. That's what a friend is. A friend shows up at the hospital. Come on, so a friend shows up in your bad days just like your big days. Like, like they're physically present. Like it's, it's this real relationally engagement or relational engagement. But now with social media, that whole term has totally been changed. Like on Facebook, the average, I was doing some study, the average American Facebook user has 328 friends. 
And, and you can look at that. You're like, wow, I'm popular. Some of you probably more, some maybe less, doesn't matter. But I got 328 friends. And, and on Instagram, it's an average of 150 friends. And you're like, wow, that's cool. We're connected. But did you know that the average American only has two real close friends? So there's a disparity. It's like, wow, I, I thought I was, and, and that's actually down from six just 20 years ago. So we're getting more isolated, and here's what's the problem even more than that. 25% of Americans say that they have zero close friends. So that means, 20, just imagine the hundreds of people that are in here right now, 25% of you have no friends. No, you got, you got this online activity, but you got no real deep connectivity. Like, there's no authentic, like, oh, yeah, well, I like your stuff. I saw what you're doing. It's awesome. But, but we're not really connecting with real people. And don't get me wrong. I love social media. I'm on social media. I, I do, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And, and, and so I, I love it. It's awesome. But the challenge is it's creating an epidemic called deferred loneliness. And deferred loneliness is I feel lonely, but instead of calling a friend and building a real relationship, I'll just post, tweet, upload, and then all of a sudden, people begin to comment, like, and I begin to feel this sense of love. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But then eventually, you know what happens? That fades away. And so what do I do again? I post, I, I, I upload, I, I tweet. And so we continue to do it because it's, it doesn't satisfy the deep longing to have real relationships. It's just masking the root of the problem, which is loneliness, isolation, so we feel empty. We want more. And so the, it just, it's a cycle. I need more. I need people to like me. I need people. I, I just, I need it. It's deferred loneliness. We're living for likes, but we're longing for love. We're hooked on instant gratification. And it's changing the way we do relationships. And we got to be real careful because as the church, look, use social media, post, like, do all that. But can we show the world what real, authentic, genuine friendships and relationships are like? That's what we want. The world would say, my God, you got a real friend. Like, he showed up. My God, you really do have friends and people and connection. And so look at Hebrews 10.25. It's, it's what the word commands us. It says, and let us not neglect are meeting together as some people do, but encourage. Everybody say encourage. encourage. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. He was talking about face-to-face relationships. Look, he, he didn't say, look, and let us not neglect commenting on posts. <laughs> He's saying, let us not neglect liking others' pictures. No, that's, that's not what he said. He said, connecting with one another, that we would meet together and encourage one another. And I want to show us this morning uh, a story in the Bible of a man who discovered the power of real, authentic, genuine friendships and how it impacted him. Look, he, he had major setback in his life, and because he had real friends, he was able to finish his life strong. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 6. And if you read your one-year Bible, which I would encourage you, uh, every year, one of the things I do is I read through my Bible, get it on the app, go to the Bible app, it'll remind you, read through your, your one-year Bible, it's super easy, it's super great, you can even listen to it if you're driving. And so last week, this scripture and passage actually came up on our one-year Bible, and when I was reading it, I actually had a whole different message for you today. I actually had something already prepared. I had all my points. I'm like, man, that's awesome. But I think I read it Tuesday or Wednesday is when it came across my, my, uh, my, my app. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. This is God. I feel like there's something in this. It's amazing to see what happens. It's a story of John the Baptist. Now, 
those of you that are new to church or unfamiliar with the Bible or the characters in the Bible, I don't ever want to assume. We've had over 3,000 people give their life to Jesus Christ in the last seven years. It's amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about the background. John is actually Jesus' cousin. He was sent by God to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And so he was a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He'd tell the people, repent, repent. And so the people were repenting, and then John began to baptize them. And he would say, look, the kingdom of heaven is near. So he's preparing the way for his cousin, which is Jesus. And in the middle of this, he comes into a situation and a problem. Now, before I get to it, I want you to see something. John was one of the greatest preachers that's ever walked the earth. I mean, this man is a legend. Look at what Jesus actually even speaks. When Jesus talks about you, come on, somebody. Look, he is a legend. It says in verse 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. This man is the greatest of all who has preached and prepared the way. And I also love this second part. I love this. This, this is for me. It says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I think God is saying no matter how great someone is, we can relate to them that now the Holy Spirit rises within us and we have the same ability to move in power and grace. Because sometimes you could read it. I think that was just for me because if I would have read it in the past, I'd say, John, you're a legend. There's no way I could do what you're doing. But that gives me hope. Come on, somebody. I'm like, thank God, the least of these. That's probably me. Come on. So he's a man that we can relate to. John loves God. He's reaching people. He's making a difference. And yet he ends up in prison. Herod has thrown John into prison because John confronts Herod about divorcing his wife and taking his brother's wife. Come on. I mean, he probably should have been confronted. You don't steal your brother's wife. And so John is preaching the truth. John is talking about, hey, man, that's not right. And so Herod is furious. He throws John into prison. Now, prison is a dark place. Prison is a lonely place. And I don't care what kind of a legend you are, when you find yourself isolated and alone in this cold, dark place, every single one of us will begin to struggle just like John. Now, let's read his story. In verse 2, it says, Matthew eleven two. 2, it says, John the Baptist who was in prison, heard all about the things the Messiah was doing. So he's sitting in prison, dark, lonely spot. He's hearing about Jesus. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told him, go back to John, tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. Come on, how many know Jesus is alive and well, and he's moving. And so we find ourselves, he's in prison. Jesus is moving. He's lost his freedom, but when you look at the story, it's not just physical freedom that he has lost. John is lost. Like, he's lost emotionally, spiritually. He's lost relationally. And when you look at it, you're like, how in the world, at the end of his life, listen, like, this man is a legend. He's been moving forward. How could this happen? How could it happen to John? I think it's because freedom's a journey, not a destination. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how mature you are. I don't care how long you've been living for God. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're never going to face struggles and trials and moments where you feel lonely and isolated and it gets tough. And so he realizes he's in this place. 
See, I think you think, well, I've made an impact. I've been a small group leader. I'm serving on the dream team. I'm, I'm helping my family come to church. I shouldn't have or experience those things. I need you to know it ain't over until we breathe our last breath, which means we are always fighting against the enemy. We're going to find ourselves in tough spots. Anybody ever found yourself in a prison? See, I know you're saved, and for most of you, you've given your life to Christ, and, and we don't like to admit it because this is the fallacy of Christianity. I gave my life to Christ. I should have no more struggles. It should be great. Like, like I am free, and yes, spiritually you're free, but how many know you can be free and still be bound on the inside? Like you got these hurts from the past. In fact, people are trapped by the pain of the past. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were abused verbally. And so maybe your parents said things to you. Your mom or your dad or a coach or a coworker or a sibling said some things to you that went deep into your soul. And so, yes, you got saved. Yes, you're here this morning. But you find yourself trapped by the words that have imprisoned your life. Maybe you were physically abused and Man, I hate that. There should never be abuse to a child, whether physically or sexually. And, and I tell you, the devil would love to put you in a prison, but you don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor. Don't allow that perpetrator to cause you to live your life in this prison. Maybe you've been lied on or neglected. You're stuck in the pain of the past, and you've not been able to move forward. You've never gotten over it. Maybe you're bound up in addiction. You come to church each and every week, but it's drugs or alcohol or pornography. And maybe people know, maybe they don't. Maybe you say, I got it, I can control it. But the truth is, the minute you try to control it, it controls you. So you're here, you're like, but I gave my life to Christ. Yeah, you found yourself in the middle of a prison. Maybe you're imprisoned by fear, anxiety. You just, you find yourself anxious. You, you don't really know what, what to do, and you're in situations, and you're like, man, I don't even know if I want to go outside. I don't want to go visit people. I don't want to be around people. You just, you're afraid of losing your house. You're afraid of the economy. You're afraid of war. You find yourself in this prison of fear, and God's asking you to step out, but you're like, I would, but it's because you found yourself in a prison. Just like John. Listen, I want you to know we all find ourselves in moments of life where we've been imprisoned and we've got to get freedom. But look at what John does. This is, this is what I was so encouraged of. Look, John, when he's in prison, he doesn't pout. He doesn't fall into depression. He doesn't mope around. He doesn't blame other people. You know what he does? He sends for his disciples to go to Jesus. So when you look at him, disciples... That means plural. That's, that's a group of people. So, so when you look at his life, John had a small group of men that he was doing life with. And when he found himself in prison, he went to his friends. Because his friends were the ones that could help him get to Jesus. I think everyone needs a place to help us connect with Jesus. There are moments in our life where it feels lost and we just need someone to help us move forward. Moments where you feel doubt and uncertainty and fear. And it's in that moment that really the currency of relationship is leveraged to get you out of the prison that you can't get yourself out of. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immune from bad things. Bad things happen to good people all the time. But God will advance us forward. He knew Jesus was the answer, and he knew that he had to get help and get people out of the prison. 
And, and I look at John, you know, when I was looking at this, I thought it was very interesting. If you're not familiar, John, of all people, should have been the one to not have any doubt. Think about John. Look, look at what it says right here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Look, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, see, he is the one that baptized you. John the Baptist is the one. Can you imagine being the man that baptizes the Son of God? He baptizes him. And at that moment, it says the heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I am well pleased with. And so you can take this and say, look, John, you were there. How in the world could you have experienced God as real as you did to have seen the, the dove descend and the voice of God come from heaven? And yet you find yourself in that prison because nobody is immune even after his experience. See, some of you have had a real authentic experience, an encounter with God, and you feel like, well, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe God didn't speak to me. Maybe he doesn't love me. He might not even be real. I need you to know everybody experiences that. The devil has a way of attacking us and creating doubt and unbelief and imprisoning us in the past and in our pain. But what we've got to do is recognize that it's the devil trying to stop what God's doing. Look at John 10.10. 10. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. What does that mean? Who's the thief? That's Diablo. That's the devil. Like we, if you think we're not in a battle, we are in a battle and it is raging and it is a spiritual battle. The good news is our God wins. Like, we win. Read the end of the book. But living it out, I mean, no, sometimes there's casualties. And I love what the second part says. It says, but God, come on, but God, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So if I can break out of this prison, I realize, God, you've got life and you've got it to the full for me. And I think there are some of you, you've experienced something in your life and it's causing doubt and you feel alone, you feel isolated, you feel like maybe I'm not spiritual. If John felt it, listen, it ain't got nothing to do with spirituality, baby. You just pick yourself back up. You recognize that that devil is a liar. He can go straight back to hell. The thing you have to do is make sure you got a small group of friends who can help you get to Jesus on your behalf. And that's what I think. I think everyone needs a place to catch us when we're falling. See, John was falling. Have you ever had your life feel like it's spiraling out of control? Like you're falling and you just, you don't know how to get up. You don't know how to move forward. He had men that he could rely on that would help him in this time. And I look at him his relationships, when you, when you look at, it says the word disciple, his relationship didn't happen by accident. It wasn't like, oh, somebody invited me and we're just kind of homies and boys or, you know, we're, 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 it's, no, no. He searched after them. He went after them. He, he, he decided to invest in them. He had a group and he was selective and he's like, listen, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to pour my life in you. And because he did that, when he was in need, they were there for him. I think that sounds a lot like our small group leaders. They're out there. Even today, I was thinking, walking by. They're like, man, what are they doing? They're like, hey, we want to pour into you and help you. I'm going to invest my time. I'm going to invest my resources. Why? Because they understand the value of real, authentic relationships. See, don't mistake you. You can walk by and say, oh, well, they've got it all put together. No, baby, they got hurts, habits, and hangups. They all have challenges. What they decided was, I'm always probably going to have some problem in my life, and I refuse to let that limit me from investing in people. 
God has touched you, then you can help people get to the next place. To, and, and it's an amazing thing to see pouring into people and the impact. And I, I look at it like this. Some people tend to mope around, be frustrated. They're down because they feel like nobody ever invests in them. Nobody ever helps them out. They're mad at God. They're mad at the church. They're mad at their family. They blame everybody else because nobody visits you when you're sick. Nobody comes when you feel lost. Nobody helps you up when you fell down. And I think it's easy to blame everybody else. But what we maybe ought to do is start checking ourselves and take a look in the mirror and see if we're not the root of that. Just, just evaluate. And I know, man, it's hard to look in the mirror and say, maybe, maybe instead of a victim, I'm a victim. I, I can move forward. And then look, I'm going to continue the verse. It says, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. He says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? I love this passage. I mean, it just, it hit me. I mean, think about the transparency. Think about the authenticity. Think about the realness. You know, when we started church, our slogan was real church for real people. Now it's moment ready. But I just, the, the whole premise of that was I just want to create a place where people can really be authentic, where you could really come and be who God has called you to be in your good times and in your bad times. You just, you, you say, man, I'm just going to be me. And the beauty of that statement is, look, these are his disciples, but in this moment, see, they, they saw him as John the preacher. You know, he's the one that's preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven. They saw him as John the baptizer, the one that was baptizing those that had given their life to Christ and repented. And, and in this moment, they didn't see either one of those. They saw John the lost. They even saw John the doubter. Like, I know we clown on doubting Thomas, but here, you think, think about this, the transparency of I gave my life to something and I don't even know if I gave it for the right thing. I mean, think about his question. Jesus, are you the one? I thought you were. I gave my life for it. I believed, but I'm struggling right now. So you think about he couldn't see past the prison of his pain. He couldn't see past the darkness that had filled his life. And I can imagine him just saying, I thought it was going to end differently. You know, I, I've been preaching to the masses. And God, I thought revival was going to come. I didn't think my life would end this way. Because he knows his, his life's done. Like, he's not getting out. Herod's just looking for the right opportunity to kill him without causing a riot. And so he knows my life's come to the end. And can you imagine, like, I had hopes. Some of you that are a little bit more mature in your age, you can sit out there and say, I thought, God, you were going to do more. God, I thought my kids would be a little different. God, God I, like, I prayed for them, and, and I just thought that you were going to do differently in their life. And so you get to the back of your life, and you're like, God, was it worth it? Was the prayers, the sacrifice, the giving, the engagement? God, was it Worth it. I mean, see, you think, God, I was believing for a miracle, but it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I prayed for you to heal a loved one, but they died. Come on. Can we just get real? God, I, I, I prayed for my kids that were strung out on drugs, my son or my daughter, and God, they ended up in prison. I thought you were going to save them. God, why has it got to end this way? You can feel like you've been abandoned. You can feel like God has left you. You can feel like you're lost. And I want you to know it's okay. Everybody say it's okay. It's okay. 
Look, John was lost in this moment, but John had friends he could send to the source. And look at what Jesus tells his disciples. I just love this. Jesus told them, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. Imagine. And then it actually goes on. I, uh, in that passage, it actually goes on and it says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. And I thought that was a pretty interesting statement too because you can imagine, Jesus, you're doing miracles out there. You're healing blind eyes. You're opening deaf ears. You're doing all these miracles and you're giving it to people that didn't give their life like I gave it. I gave you my life, my heart. I lived in the wilderness. I ate locusts and honey. I have sacrificed from the time I was a young kid. They haven't done anything and yet you won't even save me. I'm gonna die. Can you imagine? I mean, I just played that out of my mind. Can you imagine? And you say, look, 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 look. I got your life in my hands. And if it doesn't end the way you thought it would, I got you. Yeah. And I love that because he tells the disciples. What's he telling the disciples? I want you to go encourage John. See, everybody needs encouragement. Sometimes you think, well, they're a leader. They're a small group leader. They're a coach. They're, they're whoever. They don't need encouragement. I want you to know everybody needs encouragement in their life. And so Jesus says, I want you to go and encourage them. Encourage them with what you're seeing, with what you're hearing. In other words, your life experience will encourage him to finish strong. And that's the goal for every one of us, that we would finish strong. The question is, do you have that place? Do you have that place of people that are around you, that live life with you? If you don't, if you're, if you're part of that 25% and you've got nobody and you're sitting here this morning, maybe you've got two or, or, or you're, the ones you have, they're not leading you in the right direction. I'm going to ask you this. Would you consider joining a small group? Like, would you just consider that in the midst of what you're walking through? See, I think sometimes people hear us talk about small groups. It's one of the main things we focus on. Like, we, we had, you know, I think we have almost 80 small groups throughout the city. And so we feel like, yes, it's a great place for connection. And people can think, oh, it's a great place. No, no, it's more than that. It's about healing. It's about hope. It's about help. It's about encouragement. It's about taking off the mask. It's about victory. And it's more than just a good idea. We know that you're busy. We, we're not trying to add things to your plate. What we're trying to do is help set you up to move forward. Set you up to, to create this environment where people are authentic and real. And in your time of need, you've got people that love you. I love our small group leaders. They're trained to pray every day for every person in their small group. They're trained to go to the hospital. When you go to the hospital, our church is way too big for me to go and visit you in the hospital. But guess what? Your small group leader, the people you do life with, the people you're in community with, they give you what you need in your time of need. And I think for us, it's really evaluating. Do I find myself in need of these kinds of relationships? And here's what I would challenge you. You might say, listen, I, I don't need it right now. How many know it's, it's not when you need it that counts, it's before? It's like, God, I just, yeah, because then when you need it, you're like, oh, well, I didn't, it's, it's too late. And here's what I would challenge you too. There are people that need what you have. The small group's not just about the leader. Or the, it's about, man, you, see, I've been in small groups since the beginning of this church. I have several small groups. I'm doing two this semester. Well, actually, three if you count the fellowship. 
I got a men's small group. I got a marriage small group. I got the fellowship. And man, every one of them play a vital role in my life. It's like I, we have this men's small group, and it's, it's pretty amazing. There, someone will be in the hospital, someone happens, and threads just 20 people just texting, hey, praying for you, calling, how you doing, how you doing. It's amazing. Feeling loved, and hey, is there anything we do? How can we get you food? What, and and it, it, that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. See, I think we put all the weight on the pastor, and we said, hey, do what you can. And, and that's why pastors, they, they, they have churches of 100, 150. You can't even manage 50 people. That's not what the Bible said. I'm here to equip you to do the work of the saint. You're to do the work of the ministry. And so I just want you to consider that as we close. And I sense God doing something in our hearts. Some of you have found yourself in a dark spot. It's okay. God's, God's here. He's with you. Join a small group. Find a band of brothers, sisters, young adults. Get in the young adult small group. Go online. Look them up. They're all online. Anchorbend.com. Go in the foyer. Don't let this be, don't, don't let this be the same year it was last year. Same old, same old. Don't, don't ask God to do something different, but, but we realize this is a key, but I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. You're going to keep getting what you always got.